So as we start today, we're continuing in this theme of the Christmas season. I want to ask you a question. I asked this question to a bunch of guys, and I was shocked at their response. But let me ask you, because you seem to be wise, intelligent people. Do you love to get cards? Do you love to get cards for different things, birthdays, anniversaries, uh, holidays? Do you like to get cards? Do you like to open it and see that greeting on the inside? You know why I love cards? It says that somebody remembered you. It says that someone thought enough to stop for a minute, get that card to put in the mail. But you know what else I like? I like getting electronic greetings, you know, on the internet now. They didn't have that when I was a kid, so we collected all of our birthday cards together and put them in a box somewhere. Now we have a little folder on the internet where all the greetings are, all the happy birthdays, happy anniversaries, happy Thanksgiving, happy Merry Christmas. Now the thing is this, if we love those types of greetings, you know what's special about Christmas? If you love cards, if you love greetings, the Word of God is the ultimate greeting card. It's the ultimate card that not only tells you what's happening, it tells you why it's happening, and it tells you what the response to all of that should be. Do you realize that right now, as we sit here, there are millions of people around the world, not just in hospitals, not just in waiting rooms, not just in, in, in other places. There are people out there who can't find a reason to be happy today. I know a lot of people. I, I encounter hundreds of people through my store. I see people come in, they see them go, and they come in and they talk to me. Lately, Students come in and they just want to talk to me. I don't know why. I'm not a professional counselor. I'm not a therapist. I'm just a guy working in a store. But you know what they want to talk about? How do I find someone to love me? I actually had a man ask me, how can I find someone to love me? Because uh, everyone knows about my wife on campus because I talk about her all the time. And um, I've actually pointed her out to people. and They're like, oh, that's your wife. Wow, you married up. I said, yes, I did. I did really good because God loves me. Here's the thing. Christmas is about finding out how to find someone that will love you, how to find someone who will never turn you down, never leave you, never abandon you. And there's lots of people that would love to find that. The Bible that we're going to read out of today, book of Luke, chapter one, we started there last week. We're going to keep going to this week. Luke 1, 26 is where we're going to start. This is a message from Yahweh, a message from the God of the universe, from the God who loves us, the God who gave us the reason to celebrate Christmas. This message is for people who can't find someone to love them, can't find someone to bring into their life who will care about them and pray for them and desire to be with them. So if you've ever felt that way, if you've ever felt alone at Christmas or felt abandoned or felt like nobody gets it and you just feel isolated, there are four truths right here in this passage that God wants you to know. Four things that God has sent you a message about specifically for all of those who will believe in Jesus. The first thing, the first truth message here is this. God has a plan for your individual life. Now, we all know that God has a plan for the human race. It's all throughout the book of Revelation. We see what's going to happen. We see what's going to happen to the world. But you know that God has a plan for your individual life? 
no matter how young, no matter how old, no matter how capable or incapable you might feel, God has a message for you. We're going to look at it right today, this plan that God has for your life. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. How many people do you know that if they were met with this message from God, would not believe it? Now, last week, we talked about Zechariah being in the temple. We talked about Zechariah going to do what he had done his whole adult life. His whole adult life, he had done his service in the temple when his group was called up to serve. He walked into that temple as he had so many times before, and he was confronted by a message from God. And he didn't believe it. He didn't know what to do with it. He didn't know how to handle it. The same thing is happening right here. What does it mean when the angel says to her, you are a favored woman? Women in Jewish society, women in the Middle East in those days, didn't find themselves in a position of favor. They found themselves the low man on the totem pole, as it were. Women were not independent or, or wealthy or they didn't have their own lives. There are a few exceptions in the Bible. Women of great power and wealth, Lydia being one of them. But now here's the thing. Here's a young girl, 13 or 14, living in Nazareth, not exactly the cosmopolitan center of Israel, and she is just faithfully being a 13 or 14-year-old woman. That's all she's doing. Here comes Gabriel, the same angel that showed up last time to Zechariah in the temple, now in a simple village speaking to a young girl. She couldn't have imagined that God would take notice of her. Any more than Zechariah could imagine that the God who had been silent for 400 years would come and speak to him. Do you know that God speaks to you every single day? No matter how young, no matter how old, no matter how useful or useless you feel, God is speaking to you every single day, and he speaks through his word. We hear that through prayer. When Isaiah went to the temple to mourn the death of the king, it says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and I heard the Lord calling, who will come and who will go for me? God had always been calling. Isaiah had been in the temple so many times. He had never heard God. Why? Because his heart was not in the right place to hear God speak. See, God has a plan for each one and every one of us. And if we give ourselves to him, allow him to speak, he will show us where to go and what to do. Here's a young girl. Out of nowhere, God sends a messenger, the messenger, Gabriel, the mighty messenger angel of God. Now, Mary was a student of the Bible, as every woman in Israel was. They knew what God had done, but now they didn't expect God to do it in their life. So first thing I want you to understand is this. If God has a plan for every creature, that includes you. But what is that plan? What is he calling you to do? Who is he calling you to be? 
Number one, he's calling you to be faithful. Look at our next point. If God has a plan for your life, number two, God is calling you to believe in his plan. Not your plan. Every one of us has a plan for what we think our life should be. I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. I've had so many people tell me over the last few weeks, oh, I'm going to graduate and then I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to get married and I'm going to have kids and blah, blah, blah. And they're always laying out these plans that they have for their life. And I wonder, has any one of them, even the ones who have little gold crosses on their neck, have they ever asked God, what do you want me to do? What am I supposed to be? Mary wasn't asking, God was telling. But her response was this, Luke 131. Now listen, he's, just, he's speaking right to her. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. Did God ask her permission? No. She was chosen by God. So many times in the Bible, we see where people are called by God and God doesn't say, you know what, if it suits your fancy, I can do this for you. Or if you feel so inclined, I would like to do this for you. When God speaks to you, he tells you something. Your only response is to believe it. It starts when you read the word of God and it says you are a sinner separated from God. I accept that that is true. God calls us to believe in his son that we might be saved. That's not an option. That's the only way to be saved. Then he calls us to confess that belief to the world, to tell everybody what it is we, what we believe. We admit, we believe, we confess. That's the ABCs of salvation. We teach it every year at VBS. Our kids all know that one by heart. You will conceive, give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Here we go again. Zechariah was told what to name his son. He didn't get an option. He didn't get to make the choice. You will call him John. Here, you will call him Yeshua. Yeshua in, in Hebrew is almost the same as Joshua, the one called of God, the one who led them into the promised land. So he gives him a name that signifies his purpose. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Now, wait a second. Throne of his father David. You have to understand that in Jewish culture, anyone in the line, in the lineage of Jesus, we looked at this when we looked at the lineage of Jesus, anyone in that line could be called a son or daughter of David because they are descended from the greatest in their line. Abraham to David to Jesus. So he tells him, you will be great. He will be called the king who will sit upon the throne of David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. That had to be insane to a 13 or 14-year-old girl living in the backwaters of Israel, away from the city, away from the kingdoms. Yes, she was descended from David, but the line of David was broken after Solomon's death, and the kingdom split willy-nilly everywhere. So that, that lineage of David, of David no longer meant as much as it used to. So maybe she had forgotten that she is descended from royalty. And as such, she should have been ready for God to call on her. 
Think about this. James 1, 22 through 25. Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Now I know all of us are not vain people. None of us are vain. So we don't stand there and look in the mirror and primp and, and get ourselves ready and trim our beards and shave our mustaches and make us all look pretty. You know, we, we don't do that, do we? No, of course not. We don't stare at mirrors all day long. Heavens. But he looks, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Underline that last little bit right there in James. He will be blessed in his doings. This may have resonated with Mary. She has been told, you will conceive, you will bear a son, you will name him Jesus. He will sit on the throne of his father David. Did God leave any question in there about what was going to happen? No. God never leaves the question. The only question is, will we do, will we agree, will we comply with what God calls of us? What does God call us to do? He calls us to believe in his son. He calls us to confess that son, to let the whole world know. Mary was just told, you're going to have a kid. There was no question about that. It's not like this will happen or this will happen someday. It's like, this is going to happen. Now what she has to do is believe that God is going to do what he said. As it says in James, the doer who acts will be blessed in their doing. Now this goes on to the next one. What happens when God says to you, I want you to do something. I want you to quit that job and go do something completely different for me. I want you to give up that security and I want you to step out in faith and do a thing you've never done before. There's a lot of people that God speaks to like he spoke to the people of Israel, but very few are like Isaiah. Very few hear God say, who will come? Who will go for us? Ask any true pastor. I'm going to qualify that with the word true. Ask any true pastor what it was like to receive the call to preach. And most of them will tell you, not me. You don't know what to do with that call. I'm not qualified. No, I don't want to do this. I'm not this super person. I'm not like him or her or him. But when God calls, your only true response is to believe that call and do something about it. You may not be called to sing in, in church. You may not be called to lead a Bible study. You may not be called to preach the gospel. But God will call you to be a witness to who he is and what he is doing. Every one of us is a witness. Don't forget that. That is not optional in the Christian faith. You have to bear testimony to what you've seen and heard. But move on. So God has this plan. He lays it out for us. Whosoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. There it is. John 3, 16. Now, he calls us to believe that that is true. And now, what do you do about it? They say, which just sees in Luke 1, 34. When we receive this call, when we choose to believe, God will understand our questions. Not everybody jumps immediately 
into the service of God. Take a look at this. Luke 1.34, Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? She was being honest. She's 13. She's 14. She's not, in, she's engaged, but in Jewish culture, uh, engagements last for one year. And during that year, you are married, but you're not. You don't have any of the conjugal privileges that go with marriage. It's meant to show that you have the discipline to be preparing yourself for marriage. So she was preparing herself to be a wife, but she was not truly a wife yet. She said, I haven't been with a man. I don't have any way to get pregnant. It was a reasonable question. The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God and consider your relative Elizabeth. We just talked about this one. Even she has conceived a son in her old age and this is now the sixth month for her who was called childless. Remember for the first five months, we saw this last time, last week, she hid herself away for five months now it is the sixth month. You've heard me say before, John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. But John was the superior because he was six months older. Six months older than Jesus. Now that meant he was the superior or the, the higher relative. But in truth, John later will defer and show that it is Jesus who is higher. It is Jesus who is greater. In fact, if you want to have fun, go through the Old Testament. Look at every time... A man had two kids. Look at which one God uses. Never the first. Only the second. In this situation, in this situation alone, because there can be only one immaculate conception. Because there can be only one son of God. This is the only time when the one is the only. And it's amazing to me. Considering relative Elizabeth, she has conceived a son in her old age, very emphasis, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. Do we believe that last statement? We say it, we read it in church, but do we honestly believe that all things are possible for the Lord our God? Whether you're in a hospital bed recovering from burns, whether you are fighting cancer, for the second or third time. Whether you are going through something economically, emotionally, physically, do we believe that God can do all these things if they are in accordance with his will? If we believe that, we should not be shocked when God does amazing things. We should not be shocked. We should give him the glory. We should praise his name. We should not be shocked when God does great things. Someone once said, isn't it stupid to believe that, that a woman could have a child without getting pregnant through a man? And I said, well, here's the thing. Where did man come from? Oh, well, you know, there were these cells in the ocean and they got together and they made tadpoles and tadpoles became frogs. Frogs became people and, you know, high school biology shows you what they know in high school. If God can make a man out of dust, Nothing more than non-living, non-animate dust. If God can do that, why can't he place a child into the womb of a woman? It's not shocking to me. It's no question in my mind that God did it. That's simply the way it is. Plus, you have to understand, it's very important that she had never been with a man. In Genesis 3.15, 
The promise to Adam and Eve is that they that the seed of the woman would crush the seed of the serpent. So the seed of the faithful will crush the head of the unfaithful. Now there's no seed in the woman, that's in the man. So the only way for a woman to be the seed is to be the only person involved in that child's creation. I saw some scientist uh, on TV talking about how they've explained the virgin birth. And I thought this should be good. Well, you see, they find these frogs in Africa, and these frogs change gender during, during dry times. So your basic female frog turns into a male frog and impregnates itself. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's pretty impressive. I didn't know you could do that. Um, I've heard a few other ones, but you really don't want to know that one. People will look for any excuse to get rid of the virgin birth because it's proof that God is involved. Think about this, too. Isaiah 7, 14 says specifically that a virgin, and the word in Hebrew is not to be debated, that a virgin, a one who has not been touched by a man, will give birth to a son, and whose name will be called Glorious. See, that's I don't think you have prophecy leading up to this, prophecy that has to be fulfilled. So if Genesis is fulfilled, if the one in Isaiah is fulfilled, then it has to be through a virgin. And if God can make a man out of dust, he can do anything he wants to. Can I get an amen? amen. Now, notice also here there's something different. When Zechariah laughed at Gabriel, Gabriel closed his mouth for the next nine months. He didn't speak until that child was born. Why? Because Zechariah's attitude, even though he was a priest, even though he was a servant of God, his attitude was, this isn't possible. I'm an old man. The old lady's an old woman. We can't have kids. Gabriel didn't take that very well. But notice here, there's something different. She did not doubt that God could do it. How can this be since I've had no sexual relations with a man? All she wanted to know was, Lord, I don't understand. Do you think God accepts our questions? Yeah. When Job's like, why am I suffering? What did I do? God accepts that. When we say, how did this happen to me? I've, I've tried to serve you. I've tried to be your servant. How did, I, how did I get in this fire? How did I get burned? Charles Stanley gave the best answer for this in history. He says when he fell and broke his hip, and you know, we all know that, that happened to him. His question was not, as he was laying on the floor, God, why did you do this to me? His question was, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? Stanley's attitude was not, Every Christian's life should be perfect because it's not. Our lives are not perfect. We know pain. We know suffering. We know loss. We know heartbreak. We've all lost people that we love. So we know what it is to be human, to be broken. The question is, God, what are you teaching me? Her question was, Lord, I don't understand how this is going to happen. She didn't say it can't. She said, I don't understand how it can happen. So Gabriel explained it to her because her question was not a rebuke of truth. It was a, 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 an unclearness about the truth of it. And I think that's what God does with us. When we simply ask, Lord, how can this, how can I be a servant? How can I be used? I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. I have this limitation, that limitation. God accepts those questions. He allows them because we're not doubting him. We're simply seeking to understand how we can better serve him. I think that's important for us. Instead of rebuking God or rejecting Gabriel as Zechariah did, she simply wanted to understand how God's supernatural works actually happen. 
So this message from the Lord, these, these four truths are this. God has a plan for your life. He calls us to believe in the plan he has laid out to us. Then if we have questions and those questions are just about how, about procedure, God accepts those questions. He accepts our, our lack of understanding. And finally this, on the other side of the questions, God is pleased with our faithfulness. God is pleased with our faithfulness. That's Luke 138, one verse only, but it says it all. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. When she heard that God can do it, nothing is impossible with God. She heard that. She accepted that that was what was going to happen. And if it's, if it's good enough for God, it's good enough for her. She, she accepted. And then Gabriel left because his mission was done. You see, I believe that when we are faithful to God, when we say those words to that person, when we make that prayer, when we reach out to that person, when we put ourselves on the line and say, God, take me where you want to take me. Use me the way you want to use me. Do with me what you will. I think God is pleased with that. And the Bible says it again and again, that the faithfulness of God's servants blesses the heart of the Lord. And isn't that our purpose? Every child wants to make their parents proud of them. Show me a kid that doesn't want to please their parents, and I'll show you a broken family. I'll show you something that has gone wrong. Because children naturally want mom and dad's approval. They do. So why shouldn't God want us to be faithful, to respond? He's given us all so much. We say, oh, this, but this church is old. Yeah. It serves God just fine. Well, but, but there's not a lot of people here. So what? Those who are here are faithfully seeking God. Well, there are churches filled with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who are not seeking God. They're seeking for someone to affirm what, this, what they made as their own choices. They want someone somewhere to tell them that what they're doing is okay and that God's going to wink at their misdeeds that God's going to accept their choices, that God is going to allow them to be whatever they want to be. That's what they want. But that's never going to happen in this church. It's never going to happen so long as we have to preach out of God's word. Consider one thing and we are done. Romans 4, 19 through 22. Then he, Abraham, did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. He had been told he would be the father of nations. He was told that Sarah would have a child after all these decades. He was told that. He was promised that by God Almighty. So when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Do you see something right there? He grew strong. How? As he gave glory to God. See, that's what blesses the Lord when we praise him for his work in our lives, even if we haven't seen the summation of it. Abraham walked the promised land. He walked through it as a stranger in a strange land, the Bible says. He saw and he knew in his mind because God had said, 
This land will go to your descendants, not to you. You don't reap the benefit, they will reap the benefit. You don't get the land and all the possessions, they get the land and the possessions. How many of us would not do anything to give our children an inheritance? How many people came from the East Coast of the United States, from all the countries beyond that, came west, not only into Texas, but into everywhere else, even Oklahoma for some reason. They went those directions and they settled those lands and they suffered and they, they had needs and privations. They went through all of that. Why? So that they could give to their children, their descendants, that land that they had worked so hard for. Isn't that what we do as parents? We prepare something to leave our children. And so he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That is why, please hear this, his belief in God is why his faith was counted as righteousness for him. Abraham was not called righteous because he didn't mess up. Because if you read Abraham's story, the brother messed up a lot, kept claiming his wife was his sister. Okay, she was his half-sister. That part was true, but she was also his wife. He just denied that because he didn't want to get killed because it says she was a beautiful woman and somebody might want to steal her away. So he made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes, but he never lost faith in God. And that's the important part. He was faithful to God in that he believed God would give him what he promised. And that was accounted to him as righteousness. Same thing for us today. We don't get into heaven because we're good people or because we're perfect or because we don't mess up. We get into heaven because God is faithful in Jesus Christ. What would it mean if everybody in Liberty County or Baytown where I live, or Houston where I work, what would happen if people honestly seized on this one thought? God is faithful to those who serve his son. What would happen to this country if we turned away from money, away from cars, possessions, away from status, away from reality TV shows? What would happen if we turned ourselves completely on the person of Jesus Christ? and began to live as though that was the one truth that mattered. I think it could be the salvation of our country. Do I think it's gonna happen? No. I think the days of America being a light in the darkness are gone. I, I was talking to some of our international students and they said, well, well, how do you feel about America? And I said, I think we've lost. And they looked at me. I said, I think at one time we were something. And increasingly, we are a memory. Just like the Roman Empire once ruled the world. The Roman Empire held sway all the way from, from the north of England all the way to India. Just like the Roman Empire did. Empires come, empires go. Only Jesus Christ remains. So it doesn't matter if we'll ever become world leaders again. It doesn't matter if we're ever going to reclaim the power structure that we used to have. It's do we as a nation turn back to the God who gave us everything to begin with. So there's what we see from this visitation by Gabriel to Mary. God has a plan for each and every one of us, but that plan requires that we believe 
that God is the God who can carry it out. And we understand that God accepts our questions. But at the end of our questions, are we faithful to do what God tells us to do? That's what we learn from Mary. We're going to keep going on. We're going to keep learning. We're going to keep experiencing these people and see what happens in their lives as they draw to the birth of the Savior. Let's pray.